0: Praise God, but it's good to minister unto Him with our worship and with our praise and with our giving of thanks, with our faithfulness and our obedience to Him. Hallelujah. Praise God. If you're turning your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 8. Book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering in every house. Inhaling men and women, committing them into prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. I want to preach for a few minutes on this topic. The price of revival. The price of revival. And if we can pray one more time and ask God to bless the remainder of our service. Lord Jesus, I am so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for your word. Help me to deliver the message that you've given me. Help it to be received in the manner in which it's given, the spirit in which I intend. Hallelujah, Jesus. Minister to your people under grit of strength. Bless them, I pray. In Jesus' name, I pray. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. There are principles that are found in God's word that if we live by them, we're going to prosper. Deuteronomy 28 and 8 says, The Lord shall command a blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto, and he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. This is the will of God for his people. Blessing. To prosper them. This is the will of God for all people everywhere. That if they will simply give themselves to him. If we will submit ourselves to the Lord our God and obey his commandments, he will bless us. I say that unabashedly this morning. We have got to submit to the will of God. We have got to obey the word of God in all things. The whole the whole book from cover to cover we've got to obey it. That's not popular today, but we have got to do it. We have to. Deuteronomy 11:26 through 28 says, behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. He is setting before all men everywhere the same blessing and the same curse. It's up to you. It's up to me what we're going to do with that, that choice, that responsibility that he's given us. We can choose to follow him or we can choose to follow our own ways. Those ways that are right in our own sight. We can choose whatever we want to do. He's given us that right. But if we choose wrong, We're going to receive the curse. If we choose right, we're going to receive a blessing from God. It goes on in verse 27, a blessing if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. We have two choices. And I think in this particular building, I'm kind of preaching to the choir. But it's always good to be reminded. We have got to submit ourselves to God in all things. Every area of our lives needs to be submitted to God. If we hold anything back, if we hold something back from God, will he hold something back from you? God didn't hold anything back at Calvary. He didn't hold anything back when he sacrificed himself for you and for me. We can't hold anything back from God. We can't. He's given everything for us. Exodus 19 and 5 says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. I want to be God's People, I want to be a part of his people. I want him to be my God. I want to be identified with him. Praise God. In the book of Judges, I mentioned this in the first service, we find a vicious and all too familiar cycle of events that seems to happen to a nation. We see first submission to God. Humility before the Lord our God. God blesses that nation because of it because of their submission, because of their obedience, because of their humility. God blesses that nation. And then that nation prospers and becomes wealthy, and their people are prosperous, and the land is plentiful. And then they begin to forget the Lord their God. They begin to think that this is because of me, this is because of my ingenuity, my strength, my intelligence. That's what's getting me all this wealth. That's what's getting me all of this this prosperity. And then we forget God, and because of it, We turn away from him and start following our own ways, our own ideas, our own philosophies. And when that happens, God forsakes us. God's judgment falls on that nation. He removes his hand of blessing. He removes his hand of providence, his hand of protection from that nation. And they begin to fail. And all the ingenuity you thought you had, all the the intelligence and all the strength we thought we had, fails. It fails. And then we turn to God again. At the end of all of it, we remember God. And thank God we do. And thank God he is a merciful God. And he will allow us to repent of our, our arrogance, our foolishness. And so we turn again to God, and God begins to bless us for our submission. And the cycle continues. This particular nation, the United States, we were founded upon principles found in God's holy word. And because of this, we prospered as a nation. We lent to nations and we never borrowed. After a rocky start, after 1812, we never again had to defend our borders against a foreign invader. Our land was blessed. Our economy was blessed. Our people were blessed. And because of this, we were promoted as a nation. Our currency was, until very recently, used as the world's foremost reserve currency. Our currency was in demand the world over, giving us advantage in world markets. We were propelled to the center of the world stage after World War II, becoming a superpower. After the fall of communist Russia, we were the only remaining superpower in the world. As a nation, we prospered. God exalted us in the the world community. Because of our obedience to God. But as a nation, we have forsook God. And we have forsook God's word. Our government is in disarray. It's a joke. Our society is unraveling at the seams. Our economy is falling apart. And as we have forsaken God, He has removed, according to Scripture, His hand of blessing and protection and providence from this nation. And as a nation, like always, we have been and are utterly hopeless and without hope, without Jesus Christ. We are without hope as a nation without God. We cannot hope that the government will fix itself, that it will start putting itself back together and then we can start moving forward again. We can't hope that the economy will somehow turn around and then it will be good. Those are byproducts of something else. Obedience to God. As a nation, humbling ourselves before the Lord God and submitting ourselves to Him. That's what causes the prosperity. Now, we're not seeking prosperity, we're seeking God. But if we seek God and we find Him, and we're pleasing in His sight, all of these things are added to us. It's his good pleasure to do that. Second Chronicles 7.14 is a very familiar passage to most of us. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I hope you notice what those first three words were. The nation isn't going to repent. The people in Egypt are not going to repent. If my people, God's people are the ones that are called to repentance. We need to repent before God. The country is in disarray because of the church. We have failed, this country. We have failed to maintain a standard of holiness. We have failed to preach the gospel. We have failed to reach this nation. And as such, this nation is crumbling before our eyes. And we sit back and we lament and we judge and we condemn those that are out there, the homosexuals and the LGBTQ and the Biden administration and everything and everyone else. But it's our fault. We are to blame. The blame has to be laid at the church. Only we can fix it. Only we are qualified to stand in the gap. We have got to stop looking at this nation in judgment and in condemnation, and we have got to realize that it's that way because of us. And if we don't fix it, if we don't do something in us it's going to continue to crumble. It's not going to get better church. It's not going to fix itself. It's not going to it's not going to save us. It is altogether undone unless we do something. We got to do something. Because we're responsible for it. Sinners are gonna do what sinners do. Egyptians are gonna act like they're in Egypt. They're gonna talk like Egyptians. They're gonna live like them. When I was in Egypt, I lived in Egypt. I was an Egyptian. I did what Egyptians do. I didn't know any better. but now i do what am i doing with that knowledge first peter 4:17 and 18 says for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of god and if it first begin at us what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of god and if the righteous scarcely be saved where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear church we've got a solemn responsibility before god To this nation, to this city, this county, this state, we have a responsibility. God has given us so much. How many times have we heard the gospel preached? How many more times do we need to hear it? We have been given the word of God. We have been given the Holy Ghost. We have been given life and that more abundantly. We have been given covenant promises, exceeding great and precious promises. What have we done with them? Please understand. I'm not judging. I'm not angry. I'm not condemning. I've not been here long enough to do that. This is what God gave me. I don't have the authority to do anything else. We are responsible before God for this nation. Not just this church, but the church in the United States. We are responsible. God has given us everything that we need. Everything that we need. Have we used it? We are God's covenant people. We hear the gospel, we hear the word of God at least a couple times a week. Hopefully, we're reading it every day, studying it, memorizing it, teaching it. We're the ones that have the truth, we're the ones that realize what's going on. We are in a spiritual war. This is battle, this is war, folks. It's not fair. It's ugly. It's destructive. People get hurt. People get wounded and people die in war. I've not been in this as long as some, longer than others. But I've lived long enough to see friends, people I came into church with, fall by the way, one reason or another. People get wounded and people get killed in war. That's what's at stake. That's what's at stake. Not our comfort. We can't be worried about our comfort. There's so much more at stake. There's so much more going on. And the responsibility that God has laid on us demands more from us. What he has given us demands more of us. We've all heard the expression, with great power comes great responsibility. God has given us incredible power and authority to operate in his behalf. Therefore, he has given us an equal level of responsibility to act on that, to use that. We have got to be responsible. All that He's given the church, all that He's given us as individuals, as children of God, they don't have any of that. They don't. And they're not going to until we give it to them. Brother Demuth said it this, this Wednesday. God's not going to go out and do that. Sister Parker gave a prophecy this morning. Said the exact same thing. The responsibility is on us, not God. God already paid the the ultimate price. God did everything he is going to do that he needs to do. We need to we need to step out. We need to start This church is such a giving church. You guys are so giving. Your finances, your time, the things that God is going to be asking of us, asking of you, the things that He will be requiring of this church, will demand something from us. Revival is coming. I almost think it's coming whether you want it or not, whether I want it or not. But if it's going to come through you, if it's going to come through me, it's going to cost us something. It has to. It has to cost us something. What did David say? I will offer unto the Lord nothing that cost me nothing. I won't give anything to the Lord that cost me nothing. We can't chinse out on God. We can't nickel and dime God. Look for the best deal. What's the most I can get for the least cost? That's not what this is about. And if you have that attitude, I'll pray for you. Because God can't use that kind of an attitude. This city, this city deserves better. This county deserves better. If we don't step up and assume responsibility for where we're at as a nation, if we don't start taking authority over the spirits of this city, this county, the state, this nation, we cannot last. Somebody needs to stand in the gap. We need to stand in the gap. Reversing the course that we're presently on won't be easy. We're too far gone now. This is too far entrenched. Someone told me one time, I did stock trading for a while, And one of the things they teach you is to swallow a frog when it's small. Don't wait to swallow the frog when it's huge. What that means is, if a position is going against you, get out now. Don't wait until the losses are huge before you finally get out. Anyway, the time to swallow the frog was a long time ago. That time has passed now, and this is where we're at today. And I'm with all of you guys. I'm responsible. I'm responsible for this. But today is the day we can make up our mind to do something different. We can solidify in our hearts and in our minds. We can dedicate ourselves afresh. There is going to be a cost. It will take courage. It will take commitment. And it will take sacrifice. The scripture text that we read, I'm not sure if it even makes sense anymore. But, uh, this is where the church was at. There was great persecution against the church. They were being thrown in prison. They were being persecuted. They were being killed. But as they were scattered, they went out preaching the gospel. Our nation today is one such that the price that we've had to pay in the past is ridicule, getting made fun of, maybe a friend leaving us. And don't get me wrong, that's, that's not easy. It's, it's not easy at all. But we have not yet resisted unto blood. Striving against sin. There are those in the world today, our brothers and sisters, that are doing exactly that. New converts that are, when they say yes to Jesus Christ, they understand the cost. They understand that that could very well mean imprisonment, torture, or death. I wonder... If it were that way in the United States. If there were guards standing at that door. How many people would be here today? I trust all of us would. I trust that I'm speaking to a people who have already made up their minds on that. And I thank God for that. I thank God for each of you for this church. But there are a lot of Christians... A lot of our brothers and sisters who have not yet made up their minds on that. And that if persecution became too great, I fear some of them would turn back. Part of it, as I've said earlier, I think is a misunderstanding that when people come to the Lord, they think everything's going to be all better. A lot of things will be better. Addictions, bondages, we're freed from them. But life is still life. Bad things happen even to children of God. First Peter 4, verses 12 through 14 says this. Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Now that preaches real good. That sounds great. Sounds really good until we have to apply it. But apply it, we must. We've got to look on these things differently. As if we're not a people who is interested primarily in comfort and in ease and in promotion and in blessing. I love the blessings of God. I enjoy the blessings of God and so do you. But if they're taken away, church, I still love God. I still love him. I don't serve him for the loaves and the fishes. I enjoy the loaves and the fishes, as long as he'll provide them. But if they're taken back, they're his to take back. I don't need those things. I need him. That's what we need. We can't be interested in in the loaves and the fishes. We can't be interested and focused on the blessings of God. Because someday, we live in this fearful, fallen world. And they are going to be taken away. At best, they're going to end up in the landfill. That brand new house that I'm still looking for. The new car that I want to buff up and vacuum and clean, make look perfect. The new suit that I'm so proud of. In just a very short while, that suit's going to be in the the garbage can. All torn up and threadbare. Car is going to be in a cube in some landfill. House is going to be bulldozed at some point. Made way for a condominium. Apartments. Everything in this world is going to burn. Nothing in this world is going to last. If our focus remains on those things that are eternal, that are real, if our focus remains on, on the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of these things are going to be added unto us. That's a promise that Jesus Christ himself stated. They're going to be added to us. Those things that we need will be taken care of, but we have got to stay focused. We have a responsibility as a church. We need to stay focused on that. Discharging faithfully that responsibility. I don't want to stand before God, not having done everything that I can. John 16 and 33 says, these things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. You're going to. It's not if, you will. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world in Jesus Christ, we don't have to be afraid of tribulation. We don't have to be afraid of those things that might happen, that could happen, that maybe will happen. We don't have to worry about the cost that Jesus will ask of us. And for some of us, the cost is going to be great. But if we'll pay it, We won't regret it. I mentioned that those on other continents are suffering. and make a decision for Jesus Christ, and it could mean their lives. I have a video. I've mentioned it in previous messages, at least one. I want to show it now, talking about one of those. Brian, if you could... Put that up.
1: Then the war came. Now the terrorists are attacking Christian homes, churches, and even our children. Their goal is to empty Syria of its Christians. We hate the spirit of Islam that is destroying our country, but we love our Muslim neighbors. They come to us and say, in the name of our God, terrorists rape and kill, where is God? We tell them about Jesus, and many are coming to know him. Still others say, we are like living in hell. One day, while I was praying, I asked God what he would have me do to be his witness. But he only asked me, will you give me your life? As I prayed, I understood he wanted all of me. And I said yes. If the time came, I was willing to die for Jesus. The next day, while I was praying, I asked God again what he would have me do. This time he asked me, are you willing to give me your husband's life? It is not easy to be ready to die. My husband and I prayed about this together. We said yes to God. The third day was the most difficult. On this day, God asked me if I was willing to give up my children's lives terrorists know who we are and that we share Jesus with Muslims. It is not safe for our family. My husband and I prayed and fasted and together we agreed. God gave us our precious children. He has the freedom to take them back. When we agreed to put our children on the altar, I knew I had I told them that it was possible that men with swords may come through our door. Men who didn't know Jesus. They may say bad things to us and try to force us to convert to Islam. But no matter what they say, we should not answer them. We should only tell them that Jesus loves them. And that we forgive them. I told them that we might see some blood and have some pain but it would only be for a little while (sighs) that we should just close our eyes and when we open them we will be with Jesus. Am I a good mother? Do you have to tell my children such things? I also told them that as long as God wants us to be safe, we will be safe. That he is in control. Even during the bloodshed, during the temple, he is carrying our future. This is what it means to be a Christian in Syria.
0: The level of commitment that we talk about is not the same level of commitment that other people consider. When we talk about commitment, we think regular church attendance. I'll try to read my Bible. the level of commitment that Jesus Christ has to you is that he laid down his life. Now I pray, I pray, I pray that we never have to face a situation like this. But if things keep going as they are, I promise you we will. We most certainly will. In that day, what will our level of commitment be? Can we say yes to God no matter what He asks of us? As a people, as a church, we need to stop focusing on tertiary things the blessings of God, our comfort. I'm not being blessed as much as brother so-and-so is. Our retirement savings should be waiting for us in heaven. The only thing that will have any lasting, meaningful effect is what we do for God. God. Today, if you would all stand. There are things that God is going to begin to do through you.